Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. All right. Thank you, Dennis. And again, a special welcome to guests and visitors here today. I know we have a number of people here to celebrate baptisms. We're very excited about that. We'll be getting into that as uh, soon as we're concluded here in the next little bit. The idea is Jesus changes everything. Uh, we considered this for the first time just two weeks ago. Um, your work matters to God and God matters to your work. We're trying to figure out this whole relationship of how our faith integrates with our work life. And that's the journey that we're on together today. So let me just ask a question to help gather our thoughts as we begin our time together. The question is simply this, what is the story that gives meaning and shape to your work? All of us have to go to work with a certain story in mind. Uh, whether we know it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not, each and every one of us, we are all doing this. You cannot do this. So what is that story that is shaping and defining you when you show up at work? It might not be as obvious as we think. We might be very tempted to say, well, that's, that's pretty obvious. Like I'm a, I'm a Christian, obviously, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the, I'm going to go to my, my, my work on Monday, or I'll go to my work later today. I'll go to my work tomorrow and there I'll be a Christian. Maybe. Alistair McIntyre, a philosopher, once said this. He says the key question for people is, is not about their own authorship, what they're doing in their own story. I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? That's the great reality when it comes to our jobs. We can only answer the question, how do I handle this, whatever the this is, a hard conversation, a piece of bad news, a great prospect, a hard, uh, a hard interaction that you just had with an employee or your line manager. You can only answer the question, how am I going to handle this? If you can first answer that more valuable question, what's the story that this thing fits into? This truth is we certainly Christian, many of us, and we'll go to the office later on and we'll turn up, and if we're not careful, we could actually slip into a different story. A story of competing, trying to succeed, trying to make a name for ourselves. The, the American story, the, the, the story that's all across Western culture. Uh, work is about getting, so I'm going to show up at work, and I'm going to get all I can, can all I get, and sit on my can, you know? The Greeks thought uh, unemployment was a good thing, work was a bad thing. Is that the story that you're a part of? Secular people think we work to get pleasure, so I'm going to work just long enough to match some sort of financial threshold where I can go have what I want. What is the story that our work is a part of? Where we're going today and over the next couple of weeks, four weeks to think this through. Today, work created. Next week, work fallen because of sin. The third week, work redeemed because of Jesus Christ. And the fourth week, a big kingdom vision for our jobs. That's where we are. I hope you can see just in the next few moments from the text that Deborah so lovely read for us. Just want to show you four things here this afternoon. Number one, I want you to see that God is a worker. 
So before we talk about us, let's talk about him. Let's kind of keep an eye on him as we talk about us. We were created to work. Number three, sin has cursed our work. And number four, Jesus can heal our work. Let's get right into it. Number one, notice that God is a worker. Uh, you would do well to have a Bible open today. Uh, by the way, if you don't have one in the house, just take that one with you. We'd love for you to have it. Uh, Genesis chapter two, verses one through nine, they, they prove this up for us, doesn't it? God is a worker. In the beginning was work. In the beginning was God, of course, but what do we find this God doing? We find this God working. Creation, the very, the very fact, the very act of how all this stuff got here is depicted to us as work. God doing work. Humans working in paradise is what God created us to be about and for us to do. The foundation for work is unique. We say work comes from God. So then, check this out. The story that we carry into our jobs on Monday doesn't have to be the story. Work is some sort of necessary evil. Or, oh, I just have to work because the world is so jammed up. And we're able to turn up at our jobs thinking, no, 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 first and foremost, my God is a worker. When he shows up on the scene, when I get to see him for the first time, I see him doing work. The Hebrew word for work is this very like uh, grassroots, blue-collar term for work. It's called milka. We all say milka together. Milk. This idea not of uh, working in the corporate sector, not of uh, banking, or not of an insurance. He's not a high-power lawyer. It's this, it's this everyday grind sort of work. It shows up, and we see God is doing the milka. God is doing the work. It's almost startling how God is depicted as a worker compared to the different origin stories of where work even comes from. God is depicted as a common worker. So check out chapter 2, and we'll look at a few different verses. We see that God has found delight in his work. Genesis one thirty one and chapter 2, verse 1, they show us God finds his work to be beautiful, and God is seeing something of himself in his work. Check it out. In verse 7, you see God worked to create man. In verses 6 and 8, God worked to create a garden. Later in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, God then worked to create woman. God is a worker. Remember back two weeks ago as we considered Psalm 145 and the commentary from Martin Luther, how God is actually exercising his providence in the world through you and me in our jobs. But even then, our God is a worker. You to step back from that just for a moment, you can, you can embrace something that can be really empowering for Monday morning. The goodness of our work is rooted in the fact that God is a worker. Not in the fact that I'm going to perform well. Not in the fact that I'm educated. Not, not in the fact that this field is necessarily worthwhile. However glorious or however mundane the work might seem, that work can have dignity because God is a worker and God works. God has created us to be workers as well. One theologian, Old Testament bloke, his name's Ben Witherington. He says, it is perfectly clear that God's good plan always included human beings working, or more specifically, in the constant cycle of work and rest. Work and rest. Work and rest. This could not contrast with other religions and other philosophies more sharply. John 5, 17, Jesus is on the scene and Jesus says, my father is always working and so am I. Jesus showing us how to be about spiritual work in the midst of your everyday work. He says, I'm just trying to figure out what's my father doing and I'm just trying to enter in and I'm trying to meet him right there. So then my friends, work is not an evil. 
work is not a punishment. The Christian God is a worker, and he comes into this world creating people to join him in work. Tim Keller wisely says, Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not medicine, but food for our soul. Check that out. Work is not medicine, but it's food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work in order to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Work, when you think about it in these terms, work is so foundational to our makeup. It's one of the few things that can, that can take say, the significance into our lives and out of our lives. Um, I've had a couple of aging grandparents over the years, and whenever I'd, whenever I'd visit them, I'm like, do you need anything? Like, what can I do for you? And one of the common things they would say is, oh, I just wish I had something to do. Isn't that interesting? Have you noticed that? Visit with somebody who's ailing, who's ill. I, I just wish I could be busy with something. Is the common comment there. Why is that? Because work isn't an evil thing. Work is a good thing. God is a worker. That has goodness and dignity to it, and God made us to work. This is a message about work. We have had some sermons in here about rest. I will just riff on it just briefly. Rest does allow for a freedom within our work. Whenever we rest, we admit, you know what? I don't run the world. God does. So I'm just going to lay this down. I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to find some friends. I'm going to find some food. I'm going to find something to drink, and I'm just going to breathe for a minute. I see a few of you just like this pumping right where you are. You think about it, God does run the world. Those fish seem to always be there, you know, whether we're looking after them or not. God does run the world. Even though we step back for a few hours or a night or two for some refreshment, God doesn't sleep. He does not slumber. He does not need rest. So we can actually find a freedom in our work if we'll honor the parameters that God has put on work. You see him here. He worked hard for six days. He rested for one. He wasn't on for five and off for two. He kind of does a 6-1 deal that's undeniable here. We could probably even find some reprieve in our own flow and in our own lives and schedules if we gave, a, if we gave consideration to it. Following the owner's manual is what make, makes things work the best. So with work, six days of work, one day of rest. Your work needs a story. Is this where it begins? God is a worker. Work is not a punishment. Work is not a penalty. Work is not evil. My God is a worker. Is that where your story begins? Every, every, every job in here, it needs a story that it's going to be able to plug into and fit into. And that story is going to function as a set of spectacles that enable us to see and understand the world. Stories function as maps that show us the way in which we should go. Stories show us a compass that provide us with direction. That story will provide you with light to illuminate your path. It'll provide you with a foundation, a firm foundation to give shape and stability for our lives. You need a story for your work. What's the story? The second thing, the second part of the story is simply this, that we were created to work. You can see I'm giving it away already. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 and chapter 2, verse 15, they show this up for us. Work is marked with dignity. Work has goodness. Not because we gather around and we hold a conference and we say, hey, let's just agree. Work's important. We never hold up. No, work matters because God is there and God is working and God creates people to be workers as well. 
I love this. There's an Old Testament theologian, Derek Kidner. He says, only man, only humanity is given the office of work. No one else gets it. The Psalm 8, 4 through 8, James chapter 3, verse 7, only humanity is given this privilege of work. Animals don't have jobs to keep. They're just going to make some nests, chase some worms, and feed some babies. But no one else is given the job that humanity is given work. What happens when we work? We were created to work. What happens here? We remember uh, two weeks ago as Martin Luther was helping us see, God says he will strengthen the bars of your gates. But how is he going to strengthen the bars of your gates? He's going to strengthen it through an iron worker who's going to hammer that out. He's going to strengthen it through someone who's actually going to meld and weld it together. It brings us to that point where you can see we are called to stand in for God here in this world. The cultural mandate, Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, it leads us to see we are called to stand in the gap for God and the world, exercising stewardship over the rest of creation in his place as his vice regents. God sets the whole thing up and he says, I'm going to step back now. It's over to you. And you and I, we step forth in our different spheres of culture, in our different parts of reality, and we steward that creation on behalf of God. We share in the doing of things that God has done in creation. We share in the bringing, bringing to order out of chaos. We share in the creatively building of a civilization out of material and human nature. We share in the work of God in caring for what God has made. Every job needs a story. Is this part of your story? Is this working with you as you go? Uh, Greek thinkers, uh, they, they would have seen material manual labor as being relegated to the animal level. They, they wanted away from that. The biblical record says what separates us from the animals, many things were made in the image of God. And one of the things that it means to be made in the image of God is we get to be workers. There's a goodness and a dignity on us that animals don't have. We are made in his image, in his likeness. And he says, I'm going to set the whole world up. It's with you now. And we work. So then work has dignity because it's something that God does. Because we do it in God's place as his representatives. There's a dignity and a goodness that flows with that. We learn not only to, we, we learn that all different sorts of work have dignity then, right? The, the street sweep and the bin man is just as important as the person who's making laws about the parameters of the person who's going to be the street sweep and the bin man. We need it all. If someone isn't standing guard over that particular part of God's world, the God's world begins to fall apart. Oh, we're deeper into the cultural mandate. We're created to be workers. What does this mean? Well, this means work is our design and our dignity. It is also how we serve God creatively, particularly by creating culture. Consider more broadly in Genesis chapter 2 what God gives us. Look what he gives to humanity. In chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, he gives us a word to obey. In chapter 2, verse 15, he gives us a garden to manage. Chapter 2, verse 19, he gives us mental work to mind. 19, verse 19 to 24, he gives us a society to create. And all of this flows out of the cultural mandate in chapter 1, verse 28. God says, fill the earth. A lot of people think the first thing that God ever spoke to creation was the Great Commission. You think Adam and Eve, the only two people at the time, they were, they were in a love relationship with God. They were right with God. And God says, spread out, like fill the earth with worshipers. He says, 
fill the earth. Let them multiply is his exact word. So we're given multiplication as a task to fulfill with intention. This means civilization. This means we're creating civilization and not just procreation as well. We're also called to rule and subdue the earth. Subdue. This is not a license for Christians to go and exploit nature. This is given before the fall, before the thorns were in the world. There's no violent intent to this subduing right here. This is a stewardship and a trusteeship of God's world. God, God looks at the people he made. He said, listen, here in this dirt lie the capacity for microchips. Here in this dirt lies the capacity for smartphones. Here in this dirt lies the capacity for bridges and for aqueducts and for pipes. Here in this ground lies the capacity for airplanes, for businesses. Here in this ground lies the capacity to look after people and to steward and to set up borders and parameters. We're invited, come into it, bring his creation to a completion by stewarding through a trusteeship of what God has made. Why, my friends, were you created? Why was I created? We were created to glorify God. We're made in his image and likeness. He looks at us, he says, spread out, fill the earth with worshipers. But he also says, very importantly, look after this. Steward this. Create culture out of this, he says. Take the raw materials of this earth and cultivate and rearrange them for human flourishing is the idea that we get. Someone has to come and clean your flat. You're going to do it, or somebody has to do it, or you're going to die from it. That's an important job. Somebody needs to be about it. The world is not a theater then in, ju- in which we are focused on only saving souls. No, God's purpose was to restore the creation. Individual salvation is one of these many elements, but the restoration of culture in the earth is one of the major purposes. Subdue the earth is what your God says. Every job needs a story. Is this part of that story? Where wherever you are, whatever you're doing, so I just look at you, what, what's happening right here? I'm subduing the creation. I'm filling the earth. I'm ruling. I'm having dominion. Through this particular little job, it is fitting into the grand plans and purposes of God. This is indeed how God is working out his providence, his sovereign authority over the world through me, in my job, executing a ministry of competence. This is my space. I'm doing this well to the glory of God. Talking about the Christian story for work, we would do well to go in a very unexpected direction this afternoon. Uh, the words of a Hindu scholar named Badranath. Yeah, because that's expected. Um, the there's a guy named Leslie Newbigin. A few of you might have heard of him. Um, Newbigin went over to India, uh, worked as a cross-cultural missionary for 40 years. He got in conversation with a Hindu scholar named Badranath, and he was, refle- he was offering him the Christian scriptures. And upon reflection on the Christian scriptures, the Christian story that we carry around, consider what Badranath had to say. Badranath says, I cannot understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as another book of religion. It is not a book of religion. And anyway, we have plenty of books of religion in India already. We don't need any more. Listen to the words of a Hindu scholar. He says, I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole creation and the history of the human race. And therefore, a unique interpretation of the human person as a responsible actor in history. 
The Hindu looks in on Christianity and he says, that is unique. There is nothing else in the whole religious literature of the whole world to put alongside it. You hear this? Leader in another religion, glimpsing in on what we have in Christianity, this story that talks about who, who, who humanity is, how we've been made in the image of our God, how we're created to be responsible actors in history. And he says, as a Hindu, he says, let me tell you something, that's unique. Someone outside the Christian faith looking in and commenting on what we believe, saying, there's nothing else like this. Is that part of your story, though? So what story defines your work? Is this, are these the themes that define your narrative? Are you grumpily turning up at your job like it's some necessary evil? Are you making an idol of your work? You show up getting all you can, canning all you get, just sitting on your can. Is that you? Are you embracing work as part of God's good creation? As N.T. Wright helps us see, the whole point of Christianity is to offer a story, which is the story of the whole world. It's public truth. Christianity is a story, and you're invited to indwell the story and to allow the story to norm and to narrate every aspect of your lives. Is this the story that's defining your work? God is a worker. He created me to be a worker. So when I enter in again on Monday morning or before then, I enter in with extreme worth. I enter in with extreme honor. I'm bringing dignity to my space. I'm working as an agent and ambassador of reconciliation for my God, stewarding this particular square inch of his creation. Your work needs a story. And if it's part of the Christian story, then you'll come to have this as an element of the story. Number three, and briefly, is that sin has cursed our work. We're going to go all in on this next week. I do want to give you a taste of it here. Work is what we were created to do. It's what God has designed us to do. But when sin entered the picture, this good, this well-intentioned work, it indeed became cursed because of sin. And here's, here's a problem with how this usually goes. Um, churches usually focus only on the creational goodness of work or they focus only on the creational curse of work. We want to be a church that's going to hold both intention with one another. So if you would turn the page and allow your eyeballs to just scroll across Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. Because of sin, to Adam he said, because you've listened to your wife and you ate the fruit of the tree which I've commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, do you hear he's talking about their vocation? By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return from the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. Eugene Peterson gathers this up and he says a catastrophe has occurred. In each of our stories, we need this chapter as well. We are no longer in continuity with our good beginning. We have been separated from it by a disaster. We are also, of course, separated from our good end. We are, in other words, in the middle of a mess. My dear friends, as we're talking about how every, every job in this room, every degree, every post, every act of selfless stewardship that we offer up in here, all of it, it needs a story to fit into. You actually need to be able to account for what's broken and wrong in the story, and the Christian story uniquely offers to be able to explain that for you. While we were created good, we were created in the very image of our God, our rebellion against our God is as if there's a massive umbilical cord correct, connecting the creator to his creation. 
that sin, that rebellion, when we say we are not going to make things for you, now we're going to start making things for us. What we do is we sever the cord that connects us to our creator and all of creation. It does move into a state of chaos. That state of chaos is what drives some of us in here in our very jobs. There are, there are trauma nurses in this congregation because there's chaos in the world. People giving their lives to making sure that people are going to be safeguarded and protected because there is chaos in this world. People pushing back the darkness in all these different spheres of society because there is indeed chaos in this world. We don't want to be a church that's only all about the goodness of work. We don't want to be a church that's only focused on the creational distortion of work. We want to hold these things together. But make no mistake, my friends, your work, it has to have some, your story has to have some way of accounting for the brokenness. And because of the fall, work is hard. Because we have fallen from that status, we've fallen from that place with God, work becomes hard. Genesis chapter 3 says, work involves sweat and toil, thorns and thistles. Or if you prefer, very practically, in the street level vernacular, work involves stress. Work involves overtime. Work involves belligerent bosses. Work involves mundane meetings. Can I get an amen from anybody in this room? Not everything in this world of work is as it should be. It has been cursed, but it's still good. Got to hold these together. We got to hold these together. If we see only the good, we'll be frustrated when things don't go as they should. If we only focus on the bad, we'll have a hard time doing our work to the glory of God. Work is not all good. Work is not all bad. It's held in tension between being created good, damaged by sin, and now redemption is on offer in your vocation through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. How is God going to renew his creation? He renews his creation through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and working through those people who are made in his image and likeness, tasked with this glorious privilege of being agents of reconciliation. Yes, and indeed, communicating the gospel verbally to people when possible and appropriate, and also exercising their lordship over their specific aspects of life as stewards doing this to the honor and glory of God. This is the story. The Christian story of work is the one that can change your whole view of the world, your entire basis for living, and your grid through which you see the world, especially your job. The gospel can free us, can free us from that stress that we have because of sin. The gospel can free us from all the work that we do beneath the work, all of that trying to prove ourselves, whether we're in pastoral ministry or something else. All that work we go through, trying to, trying to make sure others and ourselves, we know deep down we're worthwhile. Only the gospel can free us from this. It also frees us from a condescending attitude towards lesser forms of work or lesser educated aspects of work from which you might find yourself in. Because the gospel is able to say, you know what? God is actually reconciling the whole world to himself, and he's actually caring for all of creation through these jobs that seem to be the least of these, the gospel can free you from that. The gospel can free you from pride to where 
you're looking at your job, you're looking at your oversight and God's creation, and you're thinking it's all about you. Gospel helps you see what God is doing. So redemption in Christ must transform our view of work. You walked in here today thinking work is a necessary evil. You can walk out of here more further embracing the truth that work is a necessary calling. God has some stuff he wants to accomplish in the world, and he wants to accomplish it through you in your job. Work now has great spiritual significance because it's a chance for God to be glorified. We'll remember 1 Corinthians 10 31. So whatever you eat, drink, whatever you do, do that to the glory of God. Last two weeks ago, Colossians 3 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. You might even be able to just recall the, the real reason our work gets so jammed up is because we're not doing it in the name of God. Do it in the name of self. And if I can know this struggle as your pastor, as the guy responsible with studying the scriptures, praying for you and bringing that to you, I'd imagine you could experience something of it as well. This temptation to study in the name of self, not for the glory of God. Create in the name of self and not for the glory of God. Oversee people in the name of self and not for the glory of God. How do you get there? You get there the only way you ever can, and that's through Jesus. So we're almost done here. Natalie, why don't you help us begin to conclude? Don't miss it, my dear friends. Only Jesus can heal our work. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve said they would live for themselves instead of God. And what did that give them? That gave them a restlessness deep in their spirit. It's the kind of restlessness that even on Friday night, after you'd emptied the tank again, and you're having a takeaway, and you're just sitting there, and after all of that, you feel this emptiness and this restlessness yet again. This haunting sense that they just I just can't get away. I just can't get it fixed. It's just never enough. It's never good enough. Only Jesus can come and heal our work. Only Jesus can provide meaning to the deepest and most secure and even obscure parts of our souls. Only Jesus can come and breathe his word of grace and peace over those restless parts of our soul. When God was talking about bringing his people back from exile, the thing he always promised people that he was going to give them, I'm going to give you rest. Because being in that place that you're not supposed to be is a restless experience. Working and having a story over your job, even if you claim to be a Christian, where you're just hammering away and you're hammering away, but deep down something is always unsatisfied. That needs a rest and a peace that only God can give. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you would just consider maybe the reason for that restlessness so deep in your spirit. It isn't that you're bad at your job. You're probably quite good. It isn't that your relationships are off. They're probably fine and a bit normal, as normal as normal can get. Maybe deep in your heart, the reason you're doing what you're doing, it isn't for the God who made you actually doing things for yourself. You're not worried about God and neighbor. You're not worried about caring for his creation. And what you're feeling is what God said you would feel in Genesis chapter 3. Thorns will come up from the ground when you plant grain now. Your good effort is going to be met with massive resistance. So God loves you so much that he has sent Jesus Christ into the earth. And Jesus Christ came as a humble carpenter. 
Not a big shot lawyer, not a sports agent. He shows up as an average Milka kind of guy, hammering out chairs. You can just imagine the kind of chairs he was making though, right? Cheap chairs, shoddy chairs. They probably did nothing to the glory of God. A warped table doesn't glorify God. He's probably hammering out some pretty, some pretty flat tables for the glory of God. Doing average work. Well, he comes through wandering around and he goes to the cross and he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that word, he's speaking that word of restlessness that we have. Where are you, God? In the midst of this today, where are you? And what God does through Jesus in the cross, he takes our exile. He takes our curse. He takes our penalty. He indeed embraces the restlessness of our sin into his own struggle on the cross. He took the penalty of our sin so if we believe in him. We can receive the peace and the stability that's only found in being united with him again. That's a transformed mind where we can then engage with one another. We can lay our hands to God's world. And instead of making idols in our own image, we build things that help image and reflect people to God. For anyone in here today, you're longing for rest. We're going to have time for ministry here in just a moment up front. I encourage you, come pray. Let us pray for that peace of God and rest of God to rest on your life. And know this, Hebrews chapter 4 says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Jesus looking at you today through this message on faith and work, talking to you about rest. If you try to earn your salvation by living a good life, then you'll be exhausted. If you try to earn your keep in this world by performing really well in your job, you will always feel like you're never enough. What you are looking for can only be had through a rabbi who is a Jewish carpenter that was nailed to a cross nearly 2,000 years ago. Peace and rest. So receive his invitation this afternoon. Come to me again, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Keep in mind that the working Savior says the key for you being able to rest and for me being able to rest is a yoke. And it is work, but it's a specific kind of yoke. It's a specific story to rest your life into. And it's still going to be a living. It's still going to be a working, but it's going to be the only kind that will not make you tired, but will indeed give you life. Go ahead, stand to your feet. Again, ministry time is going to be available up here. Brothers and sisters here to pray for you and care for you. Let me pray for us today. Our Father in heaven, please receive us weary workers. Father, take us up into your arms as we have some time to linger here as your word has been opened, your spirit is invited into this room. Father, come speak to us deep in our hearts and deep in our minds. Remind us of our identity. Restore the broken parts of us today. Heal our story. Heal our vision for our jobs. Help us to receive the ministry of prayer that's available. Receive these songs as we sing them to you now. Be honored and lifted up in this God, we pray in Jesus' name.